We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. How many times have you noticed on that preview, like I'm looking thinking, some dude is smacking a rock. And seriously, it still looks like a busted rock at the end, doesn't it? How, how many times do you feel like that? I feel like in my spiritual life, I'm a rock and I'm being smacked. And sometimes I'm soaring, I'm thinking, I am doing so well. I gotta tell you this morning, I am a smacked rock. I read Nehemiah 9 and oh, what a chapter. Because AB, he gets up here and he's saying, it's time to celebrate, read the Word of God, have a party, rock it out. What's Nehemiah 9 about? Repentance, confession of sin. And I'm thinking, did you plan this, my friend? Because I've spent the whole week looking through it going, oh, come on. I mean, you listen to this in Romans chapter seven. It says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of the body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That's what I feel like sometimes. You think, yes, I've got this awesomeness in God, but there's something inside of me, some deep-seated rebellion that keeps on pulling me back. Because we focused in Nehemiah 8 on God's Word as it was read, it was interpreted and applied. But chapter 9, the people respond in prayer with genuine sadness about their sin. Have you ever noticed that? Like the more you read the Word of God, you bathe yourself in it. There's these incredible moments. And then all of a sudden, you see how far away from those incredible things you are. And this morning, if if nothing else, I ask you, church, be honest in your own heart. Deep down in who you are, who you really are, Because we can look around and we can put on the most awesome face in front of everybody. But I think this morning the Lord's saying, honesty. I already know it. Because Ezra and Nehemiah comfort the afflicted in chapter eight. Well, chapter nine, oh, sorry, yeah, chapter nine is afflicting the comfortable. The ones that think everything's fine, the one that thinks everything's okay. Because sometimes joy and grief can be two sides of the same coin. In other words, the declaration has sort of two elements in it. They confess who God is and then they confess their sins as a result. Now there's a guy called Warren Wiersbe and he did an amazing outline for this and I'm gonna nick it this morning. Okay, just so you know. Because he talks about the greatness of God in Nehemiah 9, the goodness of God and the grace of God. Because do you remember those words from Leviticus? You may not, because Leviticus can be a bit of a read. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and have set you apart from the nations to be my own. So the Lord speaks to Israel 
And He says, you are to be holy as I'm holy. What did Israel do though? They sort of cozied up to the world, didn't they? They cozied up and and sometimes I think we can think that we can add our faith and we can have a foot in both camps. That we can cozy up and we can have one type of behaviour for our church family and another type of behaviour when we're anywhere else. But you cozy up to the world, it becomes a rejection of who God is. See, someone once said that separation without devotion to the Lord can become isolation. But devotion to the Lord without separation is hypocrisy. Because we often think, I want people to see my life shine for Jesus and ask me, what is it you've got? If we are no different to society around us, why would they even ask? Because if there's no difference, there's no need for change, is there? If the joy you have is not deep-seated, if the change you have is not phenomenal, why would they want it? We look around at a broken world that's screaming for help. And why would we wanna blend into that? I wanna blend into a world where my God is great, where my God is awesome, to take that out as we walk. I mean, in Nehemiah 9.3, we read, they spent three hours reading the Bible, then three hours in confession and worship. Could you imagine if us as pastors stood up here and read the Bible for three hours? There'd be some audible snoring, wouldn't there? unless we were really, really hyper and could keep you awake. And then three hours of confession. Three hours. Man, in my quiet time, I wanna get through that bit as fast as I can. You know, it's God, I suck, you don't. Can you fix me? But there's something that happens in here we read in the Word how far we come short. And once we contemplate our own sinfulness, we begin to understand God's greatness. And as we do, I think we'll break into worship from that, won't we? Knowing what we're saved from, what we're saved to. See, the way that they used to do it is they used to go backwards and forwards. So half the Levites would be, well, let's say over this side of the stage, And they'd cry out the sins of the people. Lord, we've rebelled. Then on this side, the other crew of Levites would scream out, God is great. God's mercy. And then they'd worship. Then guess what? They'd cry out again. That, that, that. Backwards and forwards between confession and worship. But before the necessary confession ever happened, they had to praise the one who could hear, the one that could pardon and the one that could transform. See, he never changes. He never goes back on his words because he cannot lie. 
The very definition of truth is anything that comes from the mouth of God. See, I wonder sometimes when we come to God, do we struggle so much because our view of God is too small? Our view of God is too narrow. We don't bring our sin because we think you you couldn't possibly do anything with it. You can't lift this burden off me. But I've got to tell you, we need a revelation of the greatness of who God is because He wants to work in our lives today. He wants to bring a transformation that will last. Because I go down, I was down Alex Heads and I don't do this very often because I'm not a beach guy. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching these people play in the water in the shallows and I'm thinking, that is awesome. Look at that beauty there. And I'm not talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, how cool is that? And He said, you know, you can't have the shallows without the deep. And I said, what do you mean? He said, the problem with people's faith is they see the shallows, but don't understand that there's more. The ones who surf take another level further. The one with boats take another level further. But there is an ocean of power. Something that can destroy and something that can bless with life. And yet we we confine our faith sometimes to, oh, isn't that nice playing in the shallows? Not understanding that there is a God that is so much bigger During the French Revolution, many people tried to get rid of Christianity. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Sounds kind of like a bit like now. On one clear night, an atheist boastfully proclaims his beliefs to a poor peasant. Everything will be abolished, he said. Churches, Bibles, the clergy, even the Word of God itself will remove everything that speaks of religion. And the peasant laughed. And the atheist wanted to know what was the believer laughing about? And the peasant pointed to the stars in the sky and said, I was just wondering how you're gonna manage to get all those little bright lights out. This is our God. His greatness has not changed, but our view of it does. We need to understand to have the shallows, there must be the deep. There must be this magnificent, infinite God that we serve. And it talks about the goodness of God. In Nehemiah 9, 7 to 30, God is the vocal point because the word you is used 50 times. Did you know that? I mean, you'd think they'd get the point. We look at Israel and think, would you people get the point? But do you know what? I'm sitting in my lounge room thinking, Neil, will you get the point? Because it's not only for them, it's for us. See, God's goodness is seen for them. When He formed the nation, He forms this nation of Israel. He guides His people. He releases them from bondage. He speaks into them. Then He leads them. In Nehemiah 9, 19, it says, "'Because of your great compassion, "'you did not abandon them in the desert. "'By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease "'to guide them on their path nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. 
Even when they had made a mistake, God led. Even when they couldn't see, He was there. He led them all the time, all the way through it. On a daily basis as well. How beautiful is that? He provided for them with everything they need. He helped them defeat their enemies, gave them kingdoms, nations, multiplied their numbers, blessed them with children. Do you know when they were walking through the desert doing the circular thing, their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out, they didn't starve to death because their God provided. He stepped up every time. Even when they complained, he stepped up. See, it's important to catch that. God gave them more than they deserved. God treated them as an object of His love, as His people. He corrected them. Oh, I don't think I like that, do you? I don't like being corrected, especially when you're in an argument and you realise you're an idiot halfway through. And you think, how do I see this bad boy through without looking stupid? Take it from experience, you can't. You've just got to fess up and wear it. But you listen, in the book of Judges, it says, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They put their law behind your back. They killed your prophets. They committed awful blasphemies. I mean, this is defiance. But God didn't destroy them. Nehemiah 9 says, but when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hands of their enemies. How extraordinary is that? Because we know time after time after time, God used the enemies of Israel to teach them. I don't know about you, but I do not want enemies to be used to teach me. I would much rather come to repentance by myself, wouldn't you? With the prompting of Holy Spirit. Not for Him to say, I love you so much, I can't leave you where you are. I love you so much, I will orchestrate a circumstance and use it so you cry out. I mean, you look at them. First it was Assyria, then it was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and finally Rome. And this is talking about the goodness of God. We think God is good if we get a car park, don't we? Corey Ten Boom writes this, deep in our hearts, we believe in a good God, yet how shallow is our understanding of His goodness. How often I have heard people say how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when He sends good weather, but God is also good when He allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. Our view of the goodness of God. It's as big as God Himself, or it should be, to understand that there are some things we may never know, but God is good. Some circumstances we never want to walk through, but God is good. 
Do you know, at times I've seen people radically healed by the power of God. And in all my ministry career, I've done three funerals for stillborns. And watching families at that moment on their knees with their hands raised high, worshipping God. Because God is good in the worst and in the best. And some of the things we just don't understand, God uses for His glory. And the grace of God. Nehemiah 9.33, in all that has happened to us, you've been just. You've acted faithfully while we did wrong. Did you get the change there? Instead of focusing on their sins as a people, it changes to we did wrong. Because corporately, we can hide a lot of stuff, can't we? Personally, I think there's times we need to step up and say, God, I'm playing with this. God, I'm entertaining this and I shouldn't. Because God just doesn't offer the help from heaven. We need to understand He offers help from the inside of those who know Him. Through the power of His Holy Spirit, it is possible to change. Because God invests in us in ways that we discover over a lifetime. We discover in every circumstance. We don't have to stay in a sin cycle any longer. Jesus has joined us in that process and that's the indescribably good news, isn't it? Isn't freedom good news? Come on. It is for me. Otherwise, I've got to live without Him. We have a royal, a divine and a powerful constant companion. Hebrews 4 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because you know what? Grace is not only the get out of jail free card, it's the power to live the power that inspires, the power that overwhelms. And this morning, I don't know where you are, but if you're anything like me, over this week, I realised I need to come back. I need to bring my heart back. Max Licardo tells a story about a young girl from Brazil who wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home, having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin and a wood-burning stove. She dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart, knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter. Maria hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she encountered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in a photograph booth, closed the curtain and spent all the money she could spare on pictures of herself. With her purse full of these photos, she boarded the next bus to the city. 
Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was way too stubborn to give up. Because when pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began to search in bars, hotels, nightclubs, and any place with a bad reputation. She went to them all. And at each place, she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, or tacked onto a notice board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. And it wasn't long before the money and the pictures ran out and Maria sadly had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade those countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was in too many ways too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again and there on the mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. See, no matter what we've done this morning, no matter what we've become, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus wants you home. He wants you to come back into fellowship with Him. Nehemiah 9.38 says, the people made a binding agreement with the Lord. It was personal, it was practical, and it was public. When I ask the worship team, oh, they're there, beautiful. What do you need to do this morning to make this personal? Do you see God as great? Do you see Him as good? Do you see Him as gracious? If not, determined to lock these in your heart, to lock these in your mind, to personalise your faith by making it real. Practically, based on who He is, what is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do right now, right here? What practical step does He want you to implement? And publicly, how can you make it public? Do you know if you're in a connect group and oh, I hope you are. What more beautiful thing than praying in your connect group to be more connected to the King. You can call a friend and tell them, this is what I've done this week. If you're a believer, you've never been baptised, maybe this is it for you. You could take that step. Or I wanna give you the opportunity. Well, we sing the last song this morning for you to stand up, slip out of your chair and come down the front and say, God, this is the morning that things change. This is the morning that everything's different. And you know what I don't want you to do? I don't want you to look around at anyone else. This is between you and our King. 
to say, God, I am serious with this. This is my heart. Take it, heal it, transform it. If you're online this morning, I wanna ask you, speak to Lee who can pray for you and pray through this with you. Because Holy Spirit wants to bring change. Holy Spirit wants to bring restoration and wants to bring His grace. So this morning as we sing church, I wanna invite you to stand and worship, but I wanna invite you to make a public declaration to come down the front for confession, to come down the front for salvation, whatever you need to do. There'll be people here willing to pray with you if you need that, but you can do business with God on your own and ask Him to take the things that we do wrong, every bit of rebellion and fill us afresh with His Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Father, this morning I ask for a boldness in Your people. Lord, to know that You are great, You are good and You are gracious. That You don't treat us as we deserve, but instead You extend Your arms of love and say, come home. So Lord, this morning I pray, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts to bring change and transformation, I pray in Jesus' Name. Amen.